Take us away, Jen. Thank you, Sadie. Hello, everyone, and welcome to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast in which we watch a romantic movie and tell you why whoever chose to couple up in various triangulations at some point in the plot did so poorly, and they should have made other and better choices from the options available. I am Jennifer. I am Samantha. And I am also Samantha. I kid. I'm Sadie. Hello. (laughs) Nice to meet you. Also, got way for both of you to abandon me today on the themed names. I named myself in this recording session Cheese in Hot Tub, and I'm looking at Samantha and Samantha before me. I have no idea the names of anyone in this movie. Like, the character names in one year at the other. I'm trapped in a prison of being the Zencaster host. So I couldn't. <laughs> but if I if I had not been, then I could have gone balls to the wall with names. Um, well, we'll talk a little bit about all of this stuff. Honestly, I'm just going to forewarn everyone. We might as well just call this Fire Island slash Pride and Prejudice 2005, because I will be talking <laughs> about them pretty much in tandem. Um, yeah, we're talking about Fire Island. I can't believe that it has taken us this long. But I wanted to save it to watch it because I knew that I would love it. And I did. Um, and then we are humans with lives. And that got in the way of our true passion, which is this podcast. And we now we're, we're here. so noble. During our last recording session, we all actually had watched Fire Island by that point. But we held it in somehow with like inhuman will so that we could store up all of our thoughts to discuss them on air to be shared with you today. Have either of you been to Fire Island IRL? I wanted to ask before we begin. I have not. I've always wanted to to go, but no. Beaver Island, Michigan, but not Fire Island. All right. (laughs) Beaver Island sounds pretty fun. (laughs) I've been to Pigeon Island in the Keys, <laughs> but no Fire Island. <laughs> Have you I, been I, to Fire Island, Samantha? One time for one single day. Um, yeah, you take the little boat and then you go to the little grocery store because you need to show up to your host's house with wine or something. And you realize that they are charging you like, for like a grocery store bottle of wine because they can, (laughs) because you can't get anything anywhere else. Strong amusement park pricing in Fire Island. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I just spent a day like at somebody's house that looked very much like the kind of like Margaret Cho's house. They all kind of look the same, like these little one story jobs with like a tiny pool in the backyard. And Kind of bungalow energy. Yeah, despite say, being there for a short time, I got a pretty good cross section of the island because I saw both the grove and the pines. I walked the little boardwalk uh, between them, and I saw where they do the afternoon tea dance thing, and that was that. So it's pretty. It's all right there. Did well, they don't it? have vehicles, right? <laughs> There's not cars, so it all has to be within walking distance. Did you enjoy it, Samantha? Did, did I enjoy <laughs> it? People want to um, know. Let's say, like, as a monogamous married trans woman, Fire Island wasn't necessarily for my demographic. 
Yeah. <laughs> but it seems like a fun place to go if you want to have some fun on the beach uh, with some fun people. I have... I'm I'm mentally bookmarking this because I do want to bring I do want to circle back to this concept of like not necessarily for me but is still well we'll talk about it later after we do the summary. I have thoughts. Yeah. All right. Summary. Let me um jump into the summary being not as familiar with Pride and Prejudice specifically yeah. the 2005 version as Sadie is. And then Sadie can pop in to map these characters onto the Pride and Prejudice scenario for us. Sound sound okay? Yeah. All right. Because I did remember all of these people's names, strangely, Samantha. That is unusual for me when watching a movie. Ignore my dog in the background. Okay. So our, our main character here is Noah, played by the writer and director of this film, Joel Kim Booster. Let's see. No, oh, no he did no, not no. direct it. It's, Andrew Ahn It's Andrew Ahn, yeah. Yes. Joel Kim Booster he just wrote it. wrote it and starred in it, did not direct it, which makes more sense because it seems like it would be kind of hard to be in front of the camera and behind the camera for the entire movie at the same time. And fun anyway. fact, he originally wrote it for Quibi. I just had to, I had to say it. <gasps> there was a little crack about that in the movie where Margaret Cho's character is crying because she is broke. And uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But she she cries that she was an early investor in Quibi. And that's apparently how she lost her money. Jen, no one will hear this on the. I thought someone else was going to say something, and then nobody did, and there was just an awkwardly long pause that I believe the editing software will smooth out. (laughs) All right, here I go. So Noah wakes up. He's gonna be late. He barely, by the skin of his teeth and with a lift, makes it to the ferry to meet his friends to go spend their annual week at Fire Island. the five of them met when they were all servers at like bottomless brunches and, um, you know, kind of a nightmare youth in your 20s typical situation. So the five of them are, and let me make sure I'm not leaving anyone out, pull up my little IMDb listing. So there is Noah, as we mentioned, his best friend played by Bo and Yang is Howie. They're kind of, um, Two pairs of the five are particularly close, kind of like besties. And then there's um, Max, who uh, is kind of the worry wart of the crew. And there are Keegan and Luke, who are sort of our little... I also love... (laughs) Is that Squozel in the background? That is Squozel in the background. Actually, if you'll wait one moment, let me let Squozel into this room with me so she will stop shrieking from outside the door. BRB. No, I love it. Lily She's just wants to participate. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she wants to be this week's guest. She has thoughts and feelings too about <laughs> film. She, as someone who has been to Fire Island the most times out of all of us, she has a lot to say. She's like, I like the amount of boning in this film because <laughs> I'm a dog and I like bones. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Don't be sorry for beauty, Samantha. Don't be sorry. (laughs) All right, I'm back. 
Did you all continue okay. summarizing in my absence or did you wait for me <laughs> to return? No, we just talked about how Lily wants to talk about Fire Island. Lily has been really into Fire Island. She watched it with me both times that I watched it in preparation for this podcast, actually. So I think that it is safe Lily, to say she is a fan. Lily is still Jen's dog. We're still talking about Jen's dog, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> she just has many monikers. Yes, yeah. Um, her her official name on her paperwork is Lily with three L's, like because she is named after um, my spouse's great grandmother, Lillian. But then we came to find out later that her true name, according to herself, that she communicated to us psychically, is Squozel. Also, like known as the Squoze. Uh, yeah, with the oh, first one too. Like L I L L Y. Samantha, we are on the same wave. I was like Lily. <laughs> Lily. <laughs> a really long Lillian. No, just two L's. So, so uh, autocorrect always changes it to be spelled like the flower, you know? Oh, I but hate that. I'm kind of particular about it because I always insist that the shortened version of my name be spelled Jen with two N's. It's just like aborted too soon if you only use one in, you know, it needs both consonants. You're right. Where were we? Let's see. So they get on the ferry, Uh, Noah and Howie and Luke, Keegan and Max. And they are going to stay with kind of their little house mother, um, den mother, played by Margaret Cho, Aaron, who owns a house on Fire Island because she won a settlement, like accidentally eating a piece of glass at Olive Garden or something. So they're all here. Happy little family. Everything's great. They're going to spend the summer together. Um, Noah's phone immediately goes in the pool for the narrative purposes of making him have to actually walk around the island and talk to everyone instead of just texting them which was a nice little yeah. uh, <laughs> little touch there. Unfortunately, they find out that Aaron has- Wait, can I pause and, yes. and make the Pride and Prejudice comparisons now? Please do. Because I feel like the actual base structure of Pride and Prejudice, if you're just explaining it to someone who has never heard of it before, it is extremely confusing. But if you've seen Pride and Prejudice before, then you already know the plot of Fire Island. Um because our main character, Noah, Joel Kim Booster, is Elizabeth Bennett, right? So she's the Kira Knightley. And then Howie, played by Bowen Yang, is Jane, is the, the older sister, um, much more reserved, much more innocent, sweet than, than Liz. Um, and, you know, just kind of is the is the foil to Liz. And then um let's see. So the rest of the family, the group, um, in this case it's a found family, but there's the the sisters, right? So there's um I can't remember who is who, but there is a Lydia, there's a Kitty, um, etc. And then Margaret Cho kind of somewhat fulfills the role of Mrs. Bennett, of the mother. Right. So that's the family structure. So we have the family structure with all of the sisters and the mother, except it is found family group of gay men. Keep going, Jen. Exactly. Yes. And Margaret Cho, Aaron in the Mrs. Bennett role has to make sure that all of her 
um, adoptive adult sons are going to be well taken care of because unfortunately she is broke and is going to have to sell the house. So this is going to be their last year at their place altogether on Fire Island is what sets us up for the start of the week. So they go to the tea dance, which is quite a tea dance with lots of booties out. And Howie, well, before no that, no one drinks actually, tea at the tea dance. We should no clarify. <laughs> yes, Maybe I believe a Long Island iced tea. Only Sky uh, Vodka. <laughs> Sponsored by Sky Vodka. Anyway, Noah also <laughs> to have this contrived uh, once again for plot reasons, so that um, you know Noah will be acting in ways that may not line up with how he behaved before, and kind of get him involved in everybody's narrative. He has decided that Howie really needs to get laid. And so he's decided he's not going to hook up with anybody, as would be his want, um, until he gets Howie paired off with someone to have some fun. And he he's kind of um, forcibly trying to raise Howie's self-esteem by inflicting his own methods on Howie externally. Um Which, relatable, I mean, who amongst us has not tried to bully a friend into having a good time acting irresponsibly before? I apologize for my past crimes. Anyhow, so (laughs) they get up to this tea dance, and Howie's doing a little twirl and dancing around and catches the eye of a very handsome white bread khaki shorts wearer named Charlie. And AKA Charles Bingley for those in the know. Yes. Charlie has a friend who Noah thinks looks appealing at first, but then he turns out to be kind of an asshole and blows Noah off and leaves him to the advances of a weird fetishist at the bar. So Noah is not impressed by this guy who we will also discuss this later. Will as in Fitzwilliam Darcy. Am I correct? Sadie? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You are is, correct. Uh, he, he gives off kind of a strong, but somehow sexy, young pop-pop energy. There was pop-pop energy uh-huh. happening with, uh, with this uh, <laughs> performance of Will. <laughs> so, Samantha, yeah. please, don't, please don't hang up now. But know that that discussion is I coming. mean, Darcy always has a very, very low simmering element of pop-pop to him, but it's like good. It's it's and also um, con- this played by uh, Conrad Ricamora, who also was a gay character in How to Get Away with Murder. Oliver, a great show. I only watched the first two seasons. <laughs> anyway, continue. <laughs> he is amazing in this role. Actually, they do, do such like a, a good job. This. Yeah. Yeah. And he he very successfully uh, plays off the arc, which I think is really difficult to manage in a lot of adaptations of this sort of material, where he does come across like an uptight, smug asshole that you don't like at first. And then he becomes insanely attractive over the course of the narrative. So props to Conrad Rigamora. Amazing. So anyway, we have Charlie, Will, and then let's see, what's their shitty friend's name? Cooper, who looks like a Ken doll had a magic spell placed on it and it became a man. And that is Cooper, the brand manager friend. And so, so they go to watch the kind of a, um, let's see, definitely is a Caroline. Like if in the, 
grand scheme of the Pride and Prejudice, Cooper is kind of the Caroline of the group, um, who is Caroline Bingley. So Bingley's sister, who is in love with Darcy, but not for the right reasons. In the original Pride and Prejudice, Caroline just wants Darcy because he's rich and she wants to be, she wants to win, right? So she like wants to marry Darcy, but it's for the wrong reasons. And also a little bit Lady Catherine element mm. as well. I thought he was he also, more of she, a Dexter Billingham, you know? Keep this silence in. Keep this silence in. <laughs> I'm just making up Jane Austen characters. <laughs> I was going to let you get away with it. I was like, hmm, that's been a long time since I read the book. I don't know. <laughs> okay. How so- dare you? <laughs> Moving on quickly before Sadie murders Samantha. So Cooper is the, uh, well, in addition to Will, who is standoffish and, you know, uh, seems very tightly wound. Cooper is straight up an asshole to our boys here. To, to Aaron's boys on Fire Island. He seems very classist, um, classist, uh, kind of racist, low-key racist, thinks he's not racist, but is, is definitely racist. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and very conscious of their jobs and Joel Kim Booster's dialogue is absolutely hysterical. Like you can tell he's, he snaps back in real life. He's, he's very on point with that. And <laughs> where he's there talking about their careers on the pier and he's talking about how he's a high powered lawyer, like Christine Baranski, and then tells him he's a nurse at the free clinic to like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It was funny. I, I recommend this movie. Even though we haven't gotten to the scoring point yet, I will go ahead and Jen, tell you stay that. focused. We must stay focused. <laughs> okay, so we anyway. have to get through this summary. So we can <laughs> talk oh my about god, we're movie. like seventeen minutes in, and I'm like, we're we're not even through with the setup. All right, I'm I'm focused now, Sadie. I'm on it. So anyway, well, I mean, honestly, we don't need to give a play by play because once we have the basic setup, it's just it's the blueprint of the enemies to lovers. Yes. It's the blueprint. So Charlie and Howie are really into each other. So even though these friend groups clash terribly, Noah cares about Howie and really wants to see him set up with Charlie. Charlie's really into Howie. So it brings these two disparate groups into contact with each other. And there's, yeah, you know, clashes of the classes going on um, in the midst of this. Meanwhile, Charlie and uh, Howie's relationship continues to grow. Um, Noah starts to see that Will might not be quite as deplorable of a person as he thought before. Then enters the the handsome guy, Dex, who he meets at the little grocery the store. Charles Wickham. Yes. The Charles Wickham of the group. Or George Wickham of the yeah. group. My apologies. George Wickham. The George Wickham of the group. <laughs> So George Wickham Dex, uh, again, an insanely, like, a too suspiciously good-looking of a person. In that part yeah. where he walked up behind Noah in the grocery store, I really was worried for an instant that his quadriceps were about to just burst out through his skin and fall on the floor so of the grocery store. So hot that they're not hot at all. Yeah, yeah. It's like, so it, like, went full circle and negated itself. Anyway, Noah's really into him, thinks he's attractive. This seems to be popping off. So that, the reason they're at the, the little grocery is because they've invited Charlie to dinner to thank him for taking care of Howie when he was sick after a party. And because Noah is a shit stirrer, he finds out that there's bad history between Will and Dex. So 
he also invites Dex to the party. Um, you know, the more the merrier. So, <laughs> so at the party, Dex tells Noah before they make out that Will doesn't like him because he's stuck up and awful and he discriminates against Dex because Dex has an OnlyFans is uh, what is seated there for later. So we carry on the, you know, the little flinty sparks between Noah and Will continue to spark off. Cooper corners Noah in a bathroom and tells him to back off his man because he needs Will as a starter boyfriend when he gets to L.A. Uh, Noah is going to hook up with Dex, but then gets interrupted by Will, who warns him about Dex. And Noah, uh, you know, Uh doesn't like Will. And, you know, so he doesn't believe it. And confusion abounds and uh everybody gets way too fucked up at the party let's see oh awful cooper flies in charlie's ex-boyfriend from new york because he's trying to interrupt things between him and howie howie Uh and noah are fighting will and noah almost kiss in the the rainy mud in the dark but then noah runs away and let's see where are we after that At some point, Will writes Noah a letter, and that's all dreamy because uh, Noah doesn't have his phone, um, to to apologize for how he had behaved and to explain further about Dex, like as much as he can explain because it's not his story to tell, whatever. So, so like they're, uh, and then they run into each other again, and that's where the pop-pop energy is strongest in the entire movie is when Will does those his dance moves for Noah and extreme pop, pop energy, but somehow Conrad Rigamora makes it work. So anyway, they're like starting to get along. Howie is kind of rooting for that. Uh, Howie is heartbroken now because Charlie uh, is saying that he owes his ex-boyfriend Reese to like stay and take care of him because he has Lyme disease. And therefore he came to fire Island. Um, And and is that not, the gayest <laughs> <laughs> to be, to fall from Lyme disease and have to fly into Fire Island so that your ex can take Convalesce. care of you. Uh, yeah, Charlie clearly oh has like he likes to be a caretaker. He was rubbing Howie's back in the bathroom when he was sick, you know. And yeah. Now he has feels that he must help his his ex convalesce from Lyme disease. Anyway, Howie is super bummed out and um, decides he is going to retreat back to the mainland. Then, meanwhile, what happens with uh, suspiciously good-looking Dex, he of the OnlyFans, is that he hooked up with completely obliterated, blacked out, unable to consent Luke, who had been um, one of the little Greek chorus, uh, you know, um, Luke and Keegan from from Aaron's crew. And um, he had apparently filmed them having sex and then he posted it online and it's gotten around all over the place and Luke didn't actually consent to it. So Noah and Will uh, combine their talents on a mission to go take Dex down and um, make sure that the video gets taken down and stuff. And apparently that's the type of shit that Dex pulled on one of Will's friends and that's why... Will said not to trust him and is, you know, kind of uptight about all of this. So anyway, they get that taken care of and it's kind of like brushed aside rather easily um, for the sake of the movie (laughs) fitting on into the the remaining time limit. Then Noah and Will once again put aside their their own growing attraction um, temporarily because Howie is heartbroken because... 
Charlie uh, isn't into him and he's going to leave and go back home. And yeah. when Charlie finds out about this, he's like, no, but I'm not really into my ex with Lyme disease. It's really Howie that I want. And Noah's like, well, you need to do something big and stupid. And so Will helps him to steal a water taxi to do something big and stupid. And they chase Howie back across the bay or whatever type of body of water that is to New York. And um, so they can intercept him and Charlie first unwisely declares his love and then dials it back down a little bit and declares his like for Howie. And they have a beautiful romantic kiss. And then they bring Howie back to Fire Island. And then the family is all together and they're partying for their last summer and everybody is happy. And then at the very end, Noah and Will are together and they're sort of talking about, you know, the future and, and Noah's still a little afraid of, you know, making, I don't know, he, he doesn't want to be committed and he, He's afraid that what Will wants will be different from what he wants. But then it turns out that they are more in line than either of them would have thought. And what Will really wants is a dance on the dock. Like the older gentlemen who are dancing down farther, like the pop pops dancing farther down the end of the dock. And so they dance together and it's really beautiful. And then they kiss and it's really beautiful. And then the entire supporting cast turns up and everybody's like, yay, hooray. And they all dance in celebration while the camera pans out and we are all left in a good mood. The end. What did we think, ladies? Thoughts? Opinions? I'm waiting on Samantha since I feel like I just talked for like eight years. <laughs> um, I liked it. I don't know how this translates into an out of five scale, but like I'd give it a B plus, I think. Um, obviously, like I know people for whom the movie has like a lot of personal resonance and like the feeling of like being a Fire Island vacationer who has never felt like they quite belong at Fire Island. Like, I, um, yeah, I like I've, I've edited an essay from someone writing about that angle that made me like see the film again through new eyes. Um, for me, like as a rom-com, I felt like, like I wanted it to be like a little punchier. Um, Mm -hmm. but like, I thought it was still really solid and well executed and well acted all around. I, I thought that this was a really funny movie. I thought it was really funny. And I thought it was a really great example of a queer movie made by queer people about queer people. Um, Like you can really see a lot of Joel Kim Booster's own experiences and thoughts and queerness in this. And also the fact that he, you know, the movie allowed him to be himself while also being the character, you know, so embodying that Liz Bennett of it all while also still being like a gay man in New York (laughs) in fire Island. And especially I was especially wowed by Bowen Yang's character, Howie, because I feel like that was a great way of taking the Jane character who has always been, probably my favorite Pride and Prejudice character and reimagining her and like kind of revamping for the modern age. Um, Because in the original, Jane is just a very calm person who doesn't really let her 
she's just very demure. So she doesn't let her feelings show. And so Bingley, you know, with Will, with William, Mr. Darcy, badgering in his ear, he thinks, oh, yeah, she doesn't actually like me. And so he leaves. And Jane is extremely heartbroken. But she doesn't want to say that because she doesn't want to, like, feel like she's pressuring him into doing anything. Um, So kind of taking that base structure and putting it onto queer Asian person in the modern day who wants that kind of that like that romance, like that capital R romance. And it's just really hard to find now. Um, And so I loved it. I thought it was really good. I do have some qualms with it, if I may say. And the, and this is all like small potato stuff. Just me as someone who is both a rom-com fanatic, a Jane Austen fanatic, and especially a Pride and Prejudice fanatic. May I hold Please the floor for just a little while? Sadie. <laughs> yes. Fair maiden. Um, I think that there's this there was an at-war element of, like, wanting to accurately showcase the way that modern people, modern queer people, and modern gay men date and interact with romance. And, like, it's, you know, so, like, at the end, like, there's that that moment of, like, well, I, I don't believe in monogamy. And then the other person is, like, no, I think it's outdated and stupid, right? Um, which is like, yeah, of like, you know, the standard of monogamy, really stupid and should be done away with, right? So there's that element of just like, that's how modern dating kind of is now. And so they didn't shy away from that. But also the core, the core of Pride and Prejudice is just complete devotion from Mr. Darcy towards Liz. And so in that moment, and it's such a small moment where the other character is just like, oh yeah, like they, they, they're just starting out in their romance. And so I get it, but there's also just like, I really wanted like a big moment with Mr. Darcy. And I don't think that I necessarily got it. Like the thing that, makes Mr. Darcy, Mr. Darcy is that he is just like, you take your time, you do what you want. I will be obsessed with you until the day you die. So take that with you with what you will. Like, you know, because he, um, he makes that initial proposal scene. And I'm talking about the original Pride and Prejudice, he makes this initial proposal scene but kind of backhand compliments Liz's family and she's not with it. And then he waits like two years basically um, to be with her. And then he, the way that he like checks in on it is he's just like, if there's a chance that you have changed your feelings since the last time we discussed this, that would be super. (laughs) But also if you haven't, just know that my feelings will never change and I will always be obsessed with you. Um, and then that's when they actually like get together. Cause she is like, no, yeah, I, I see it now. I'm in it. <laughs> um, but I just didn't, I don't, I think that they were just kind of, there was a bit of a clash between 
wanting to align with those modern sensibilities and just like how things work now while also trying to instill is any of this making sense yeah no that was maybe a yeah I get it for sure. And I think that is definitely, now that you pointed out, easily one of the primary ways that it differs from Pride and Prejudice. And I think that that's yeah. one of the big fantasies about Darcy is his single-minded devotion. Um, you know, so that was kind of a major veer off of the source material there. I think after reading, I read several interviews with Joel Kim Booster. After I actually read the essay, um, Samantha, that, that Samantha mentioned that she edited for them, which was excellent. I can't think of the writer's name off the top of my head right now, but would recommend going to read it. Um, then I read several interviews with Joel Kim Booster, and he is um, very devoted to non-monogamy. He's in a committed um, relationship with his boyfriend who he loves and presumably um, intends to be with long-term, but they are not monogamous. And so after reading that, I sort of, I read the ending as this is like Joel Kim Booster's personal fantasy that like, (laughs) then there's the perfect man. And also he's non-monogamous too, you know? So I think that's sort of where, where it differed a bit there. Um, Though narratively, it may it lacks uh, uh, that kind of because we're so trained for that punch of like, you know, the one and only super monogamy happily ever after, you know, that um, the ending feels a little different Mm -hmm. there. But I love then that after they kiss at the ending, they have the whole group all run in and they're all together celebrating. It was and I think that what I loved about it. you know, obviously I've I've read Pride and Prejudice before, Sadie Don't Kill Me. I still have never seen the 2005 version, um, which <laughs> I'm sure we will cover on its own on this podcast someday. Uh, but even knowing the overall arc of the narrative, um, this movie felt a little bit surprising to me in the the moments of of watching it. Like the way they set it up at the beginning with even just Noah and Howie's relationship. If, you know, you didn't go in knowing that these were supposed to be uh, the the Lizzie Bennett and Jane characters, you would almost think in that scene on the roof that they're setting them up to get together. You oh, know, like, I yeah. Fully, yeah. Yeah. I was like, that, how, what is this going to be? Like, I was like, who, so who is the Mr. Darcy and who is the Liz? And I was trying to like piece it together. And I was like, no, that doesn't make any sense because they're not like they, they have to be strangers in order for the entire plot to work. Yeah. So how is this going to happen? And so I was like doing, I had to rewatch this movie because the first time I swear, I even had my notes app out and I was doing like comparisons. Like I was insane trying to like, <laughs> like connect everyone and like every plot point and the like how it all compares on it. <laughs> yeah. And so like uh, my brain was so like overworking the first time that I had to just like chill and just, serenely watch it a second time yes that's kind of the same I was already trying to plot out in my mind and especially with Howie and Noah on the roof I was like what their little finger touch gesture they do together and the only thing that matters is you and me and in another rom-com it seems like they would be seating them as the final couple at the beginning but no it actually is it's a narrative between them about sisterhood really you know um and I love that 
I love it too. And I love that they both got their own distinct romance arc, um, both in their own ways. Howie gets his full rom-com ridiculous gesture and kissing while everybody cheers, you know, like stopped from escaping at the last instant, you know, moment, just like he wanted. And then Noah gets his moment like, like he wants, you know, as well. Um, honestly, I think my only complaint about it is I wouldn't even mind having seen it as like, or, or like carrying on into sort of like a little anthology TV series or something with an episode that focused on each of the characters, because I enjoyed the background characters, you know, the the supporting characters. And so I wanted to be able to see more of them. Um, I would, which is difficult to cram in the space of one movie. More of the Lydia character, Luke, because so in the original Pride and Prejudice, Lydia, so George Wickham, like, quote unquote, compromises Lydia. And that means something different back then. And basically like, basically he's had, he's connected with her now in a way where he has to marry her, but it's done a, it's done the wrong way. And so that's kind of like the big affront. And also like, she's kind of young, but she's also very like, she's, she's been going after this and she like wants this, but there's really complicated stuff with like the dowries because George Wickham is kind of like demanding a lot of money in a dowry. And so that's the point where Mr. Darcy, without anyone knowing, especially Liz, he meets Wickham and gives like an extremely large dowry to him, which will save Lydia's reputation because George Wickham was not going to marry her unless he received this dowry. Otherwise he was just going to like, he compromise her and then like, I'm out and dip. take off and, and then just leave her as a disgraced able. woman. Yes. And so Mr. Darcy organized this way of making sure that Lydia was like taken care of, even though she's now attached to this man that is bad, but she doesn't, she doesn't think that he's bad, but he is. So fast forward to the hit web series, The Lizzie Bennett Diaries. Um, and <laughs> yeah. in that, which is um, one of the best like modern day Pride and Prejudice retellings, it's really fun. I highly recommend you actually watch them. Um, they're just like, they're, there's quite a lot of episodes, but each one is only like six minutes long. Like they're just daily vlogs from Lizzie like in the early days of like vlogging and stuff. And so um, it's really clever the way that they work all of the characters in. But anyway, um, Lydia is, Lydia takes like scandalous pictures of herself and sends them to the Wickham character. And he then like publishes them everywhere. Um and that was a really interesting take on it. And like, oh, there's like some really good ep- scenes, right? Where like Lydia is like really upset and like talking about this. And like, she kind of like realizes that he's a shitty person and that Liz has been trying to kind of warn her away from this shitty person. And there's all this stuff. So 
In this one, I had kind of maybe wanted a little bit more from that. And because I agree that they kind of dropped the that thread pretty uh, quickly. But also I understand that, you know, they're just really trying to they have a lot of balls up in the air. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So it's hard. It would be hard to kind of effectively handle yeah, this person definitely kind of sexually assaulted this person and uploaded stuff without yeah. their consent. So Luke was kind um, of Luke was a bit of a heartbreaking character overall, especially on yeah. second watch because well, Lydia is also like yeah, so it tracks. But you were Luke saying Luke and Lydia, they go, because Luke and Keegan are sort of, uh, you know, they're your comedy characters. They're kind of the little shallow, frittery, you know, uh, you know, like running Side in characters. and out of scenes. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, they're the ones <laughs> that it was my favorite. I I think that, you know, I, like um, we were discussing before before turning on the recording to discuss this, uh, that Sadie is going to, going to lead us into a little bit later that this movie was as much as I enjoy it. It's not for me, you know? Um, but the most I identified with any character in this movie at probably any point is when Keegan is wearing the ridiculous little thong shorts and walks into a way too fancy party where people think that he's trashy and, finds is so excited because he finds a fancy cheese plate in the fridge. (laughs) Look at this cheese and he's carrying it off that. Yeah. Yeah. They had to leave the party when they brought the cheese into the hot tub. But whereas Keegan gets to be a little bit more of, uh, you know, just that lighthearted comedic side character, Luke is shown it's, it's kind of played for laughs on first viewing, but he is always the one who is the most blasted on substances, who is embarrassed by throwing up in front of everyone at the the fancy party. And he's just terribly insecure and competitive with Noah, who he perceives as, you know, he's, he's jealous that he feels Noah has what he wants and he wants Noah to respect him and acknowledge him as, uh, you know, sort of competition that they're on the same level that he's worthy. And, and yeah. And instead he gets assaulted and, uh, you know, they have their little moment to tell Dex that he sucks and delete the video and throw the phone in the pool. But that is kind of a heavy element to introduce to just then wave it away at the end. Like, well, hooray. Like even when they go back, when Will and Noah, uh, they're all Aaron and and Luke and everyone is leaning off the balcony. What happened? Like, you know, Luke obviously wants to know what's going on with this video of, of him being assaulted while he's, you know, out of his mind uh, on the internet. And, and Noah is seriously like, oh, hold on. I'll be up in a minute. You know, I have to kiss Will first or whatever. It's like, Wow a little juxtaposition there of the, I don't know that that's one of the, the very few hangups that I snagged on a little bit in the movie. And again, maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's just my interpretation and it, I don't know. 
<laughs> I'm not certain, but that bothered me a little bit. The only other thing that really bothered me about this movie was that they had that gorgeous little pool at Aaron's house. And the only time anybody ever got in the pool were both in sad moments when Noah's phone got knocked in and he had to dive in after it. And when Howie is despairing because Charlie broke up with him and falls into the pool. Because if I were at that house, I would not be out of that pool. Hot people don't swim in pools. Hot people sit next to pools. And if you want to be hot, you have to give up swimming. That's what I've Samantha, learned. Samantha, are you telling me that I am not hot? All these years no. of friendship. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm saying if you want to join the elite people, you know, who are not just hot, but considered hot by all the other hot people oh you know capital h hot okay, okay. yeah you you must you must forever <laughs> give up swimming never get a drop of water on yourself but go to pools and beaches all the time god that sounds like some type of like i don't know sisyphusian or like tantalus torture you know <laughs> To just be by a gorgeous pool in hot weather, but never able to dip a toe in. And yet it seems to be the practice. You remember when I took you to the standard pool in Miami, right? And like we were the only people who swam in it. And everyone else is just Samantha braver than the Marines is in the uh, in in like a a large influencer pool at a fancy hotel, surrounded by influencers taking photos on all sides, wearing her Neck to ankles, face print unitard swimsuit. (laughs) Uh, It was inspiring. I think of that sometimes when I just I need a boost to go about my day. (laughs) They are like not using the pool. Like they can take their selfies on the side of the pool. I don't interfere with them at all. If anything, (laughs) I make them feel better about themselves because they're like at least I'm don't look like her you know and I can be just like floating around in the middle just a simultaneous cachet tail I feel like they look at you and they're like god I wish I were that free (laughs) maybe I'm trapped in a prison yeah, I don't I'm think trapped that, ordering salad by a pool. I mean, yeah. they certainly looked at you, but I don't know if they even had the capacity to form thoughts in words about it. Sort of <laughs> like that that meme about the the bachelors, the men who are selected to be contestants on the Bachelor franchise, just like making the noise of a microwave inside their heads. <laughs> Maybe wow. it just—they <laughs> just have a little glitch, and and like the sound goes offline when they see someone wearing an awesome galaxy print unitard swimsuit in a pool. Yeah, well, w- with Fire Island, I think maybe to put a point on like where it leaves me wanting, I feel like maybe trying to do the Pride and Prejudice model holds it back a little bit almost like I get trying to update Uh it and like put this cool gay spin on it but at some point you are taking like source material that is like at the end of the day very traditional and like trying to almost like have your cake and eat it too with it a little bit where I feel like you've got strong 
you've got some good actors. Um, you've got a like a strong like destination and like lots of rich material and contemporary queer culture to play with. That I felt like this could have been more of like an ensemble like reality bites kicking and screaming kind of vibe of like here's five friends who are all in weird places of feeling stuck in their lives going on this trip to fire island and here's what happens to all of them rather than like i don't know i just kind of didn't feel like the main romance was like quite enough for the film to hang on um you know, like, and, and so the resolution of it didn't feel like super satisfying to me. And I felt like, what if this were more, I don't know, even modeling it after little women or something like that, <laughs> like, as opposed <laughs> to like a Pride and Prejudice or something. That's well, true. Like, little women does no. get a little bit more focus on the the side characters. This is really Noah's movie, like Pride and Prejudice is, is elizabeth bennett's you know and so we always are with him and seeing it through his lens even the parts that aren't really his business <laughs> yeah but the, the background characters are so fascinating that i just i craved more of them i would have liked to have spent a little more time with them even yeah. as i complain and about I think- movies ballooning over an hour and a half what do you think sadie about I don't know whether the Pride and Prejudice model helped or hindered. Well, I know that's a great point. I think that it did follow it way too closely. If you think about, because I love Jane Austen adaptations and like when you just kind of go wild with it. So like Bridget Jones Diary is a Pride and Prejudice adaptation, but you wouldn't really immediately know that because there's not like there's, the, there's the Lizzie Bennett of it all, Bridget, and then there's Darcy. And then from there on out, it's just really an entirely new concept. Like they just took it and really hammered it away. Or like Clueless, an Emma adaptation. Like it's its own thing and it doesn't feel hindered by. It feels like it's really just breathing new life and expanding that original And so in some ways, I think that Fire Island was really breathing a lot of new life into the Pride and Prejudice model. But I think that if they had just felt more free to just go off the rails, like using Pride and Prejudice as a foundation, as a building block, and then just like, you know, we don't need that character. We can rework that character. What if this character fell in love with that character instead? What if we just scrapped all of the characters except for this one person? You know, like just really just reworking everything, not being afraid to just tinker and rip and change. I think that that would have been fun. Um, But I don't know. But I agree with you, Samantha. I think that sometimes it felt a little bit like you're trying to give a really honest, authentic depiction of modern queer love and life but also the core source material is from the early 1800s yeah and so you know you you can't you can't mesh those two perfectly unless you know something's got to give so one of them has to be 
mashed and manipulated. And I would much prefer you just take that base model and just make it really queer. Just Uh fuck it up. I feel like the Darcy trope is like almost too powerful to like be deployed and then like end the movie how it ends, you know? Cause like, I don't know, at least for me, you put like a very strong Darcy on, on a screen. And I think Conrad Ricamora definitely like really fucking pulls it off. And like, as a viewer, you're like, oh my God, like swear everlasting fealty to him forever. And like, uh, just be gum on his shoe, you know, like, like, yes. that's <laughs> like your natural response as a viewer. And then for, I like, and I know that this fits more with contemporary, like queer culture and, and like, and like gay male partnerships and that kind of thing. But then for it to end with like, let's just dance on the dock and be cute. And it's like, okay, like, I don't know, like, do we do, I don't know, like pick, do you want to like do the overwhelming like Darcy or do you want it to like kind of end on this note? I don't know. Like, I guess I felt like pushed and pulled a little bit by that and that like, like, it makes you almost want those like traditional like rom-com tropes and then it subverts them. And maybe that can be satisfying for viewers who like that kind of subversion. But for me, I was just like, Oh, like let's make it a real rom-com now, you know? And I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Samantha shaking hands emoji. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he even kind of, he nods to the older men dancing together. And for a second, it's like, is he saying that he wants to be with Noah forever and ever? Like, you know, they'll grow old uh-huh. together and are dancing on the pier. But then he's like, no, it's okay. Maybe we won't even date when we get home. Let's just dance now. Kind of just <laughs> a little bit. It's hard to pull off that moment and not have it feel a little underwhelming because yeah, we are all like, so indoctrinated yeah. to want the declaration of everlasting love then. And like, and then it makes me feel like, oh, am I terrible for like wanting, like, it because it makes me feel like, oh, I want to impose monogamy on these characters, which like I, I don't want. <laughs> and so my brain is just like a pretzel by the end of it. So yeah, I had that thought where I was like, damn, I really want. And then I was like, oh god, do I need to like do some soul searching <laughs> and see why? And then I was like. But I, but this is who I am. But also, am I a bad person? But also, oh God. Um, and I think that also goes back to, okay, so huh, the queer community, it's a real roller coaster every day. I got to tell you. And so- <laughs> Truer like, words, Sadie. <laughs> and so I, I've seen some queer people- Dare I go be so bold as to say um, the specific subgroup that do need to go outside and touch grass. Um, (laughs) They were like, Fire Island is bad because it does not pass the Bechdel test. And also, this is not indicative of the universal queer experience. First of all, in what world did they say that this is going to be the universal queer experience? This is about queer Asian men on Fire Island. (laughs) That is not every person in the queer community. And that's fine. Second of all, 
the Bechdel test doesn't always have to mean that it's a bad movie if it doesn't pass it. It's just a joke test. And it is a good benchmark. Like if you're looking at like Marvel movies, for example, made by a multi-billion dollar corporation with like a flock of movies and only like one of them passes the Bechdel test, that's like a pretty good indication that there's something wrong somewhere. But it's not like, well, this movie does passes the Bechdel test. It's great. You know, that's not accurate. And it's annoying. And it annoyed me. Didn't Alison Bechtel herself have to get on Twitter to issue yes, a corollary? Yeah. Uh, to, <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I think the person oh, who wow. said that it didn't pass the Bechtel test, like, <laughs> deleted the tweet and apologized and that kind of oh. thing. But yes, it was a firestorm. <laughs> Bless for a their day. heart. One of those things where they swang way too big. <laughs> I mean, go to Fire Island and see how many conversations pass the Bechdel test. Uh, This is not this is not a place for, uh, by and large, talking about uh, ladies uh, for the most part. (laughs) Like, listen, do I, with the desperation of a thousand sons, want a rom-com, a Jane Austen adaptation rom-com set in Lesbos? Yes. But again, that's going to be a situation where if that ever Beaver happens, Island. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not going to be, you know, it's going to have jokes that are very specific towards mostly sapphic women. It's going to have a different layout, a different structure, and it's going to be for a different group within the queer community. And again, that's okay. Listen, and also speaking directly to my bisexual peeps out there, let's have a rom-com set at a Midwestern Renaissance fair, because I'll tell you, that shit would go off and it would be extremely niche. (laughs) Look, that is where the drama happens, is amongst bisexual people at Midwestern Renaissance fairs. (laughs) (laughs) The twists and the turns. Let's have a Pride and Prejudice adaptation set at the St. Louis uh, City Museum. (laughs) (laughs) Someone gets trapped there for a week? (laughs) Yeah, it's a corporate retreat. Uh, sleepover. I don't know. <laughs> this movie is terrible. I'm just devising the worst movie that could ever be made. <laughs> this movie is dead in the water, but... <laughs> it is a Hellraiser sequel. It, it just ends up being a Hellraiser movie. Anyway. A strong niche following, though. Cult classic. I just think that there are more stories besides Pride and Prejudice, you know, like, I feel like it's fun to do Pride and Prejudice with zombies and blah, blah, blah. But God, can we really not come up with like new ways to tell stories about people falling in love? Like, did we really run out like 200 years ago? I don't know. So... Aren't they doing and an update on persuasion now with like Jen Sassy like get breaking out the fourth of wall? My head. <laughs> get out of my head. This is 
all that I have talked about in my various sapphic women group chats <laughs> like for two weeks. I can't. Okay. I Are you? Uh, I'm. You have opened oh, this can I am of ready. worms and I Please. will be talking about it. So firstly, there were supposed to be two different persuasion adaptations coming out simultaneously. The chaos that would have ensued, insane. But so the one, the one that is coming out on Netflix starring uh, Dakota Johnson and I don't even know... Henry Golding is like the bad guy, wasted talent, wasted. Um, (laughs) Persuasion is one of Jane Austen's most serious movies. Like it has the drama. It has the romance. It's also really bittersweet. And it's not really a comedy of manners kind of element, you know, like, the the Emma and the Pride and Prejudice, the Sense and Sensibility, much more on the lighthearted era, you know, element of the Jane Austen works. Persuasion, Mansfield Park. That's more heady, you know, that's got some some meat to it. And so the fourth wall breaking, the one quote that I can't even remember from memory, but God, it's so, so good. And it's distilled down to like, if like we can't even be exes, we're friends, whatever. Like, uh, uh, like the concept of uh, listen, call me crazy, but if you're going to do an actual like period, period centered Jane Austen r- adaptation. You, it's the easiest thing to do. Like Joe Wright had it because he took his own spin on it, made it really moody, updated the time period a little bit because Pride and Prejudice 2005 is actually set several decades ahead of when the actual Pride and Prejudice was set. And Joe Wright was right for that. Um, But overall, like most of the dialogue is the same as Jane Austen because you cannot improve on Jane Austen. You can't. It's already there for you. Just take what Jane Austen wrote and just have the actors say it. It'll smash. It'll do so good. (laughs) Because all of that, all of Jane Austen's shit goes so hard. You don't have to do anything. It's already there for you. And yet they have distilled it into something I feel like is, I mean, I'll watch it and see for myself, but what I imagine to be a very paltry, watered down, modern take on persuasion. Wait, Dakota Johnson is in this? Yes. Dakota Johnson is the main character. And she looks like she knows what an iPhone is. Yes. I saw somebody tweet. Just like Dakota Johnson has a modern face. And I was like, what are they adapting now? And I clicked through yeah. and lo and behold, a face who knows about the Spice Girls. And so, okay. But the persuasion that eventually got shelved was going to be much more by the book. Like, you know, a real deep Pride and Prejudice 2005 style 
adaptation of Persuasion. And it was going to star Sarah Snook from Succession. Um, uh. Shiv. And uh, the and the guy would have been Joel Fry, who I don't know if you are familiar with him. I love him. He was in Plebs. He was in um, Our Flag Means Death. Yeah, he was in Our Flag Means Death, Jen. Um, God. And it would have been so good. And it was going to be by a really cool female director that I remember thinking this person's cool, but I can't remember who it is because <laughs> I'm a fool. Um, and it was going to be like really just, oh, it was good. I was so excited for it. But then it got shelved when the Dakota Johnson persuasion was picked up by Netflix. And so they were like, well, we can't compete with that. And so Damn, they shelved That's it. fucked up. And I'm so, I'm so, I, you know what? I can't even talk about it. I'm, tearing up what what i could have had what i could have had i can't how anyway i don't know what i was gonna say so in terms of the most recent pride or uh jane austen adaptations fire island absolutely takes the cake i haven't seen the persuasion adaptation yet but i you can still i mean you can take that to church you can cash the check you can note it. I have said it and it's true. I know it. Fire Island is the superior Jane Austen adaptation of uh, recent memory. But God, the persuasion of it all. Samantha, I feel like I've been talking for hours. Do you have anything to add? Only that Dakota Johnson will be playing Madam Webb in a forthcoming entry in Sony's Spider-Man universe. <laughs> What? Uh, yeah, apparently, and this is like the weirdness of modern IP, but like, I, Spider-Man, Sony doesn't have Spider-Man because they gave Spider-Man to Marvel after the Andrew Garfield movies, right? That's how it went. But they're still taking all the Spider-Man side characters like Venom and Carnage and stuff and like, turning them into their own movies and Dakota Johnson is apparently swept up in that whole enterprise. So look out for her to be in persuasion this summer and then Madam Webb next year. What? God, I don't like Dakota Johnson. I'm sorry. Why I feel like queer people really shove her right down my throat and I don't, but do you like her? I'm sort of like obsessed, not in like a, I like her movies kind of way. I really did like her in Suspiria, um, the, the 2018 Suspiria remake, which I would recommend, but I like her, uh, talk show presence for sure. Could you try again? Wait. Yeah. I think she's talking to me. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. Watch. Okay. It wants you to try again. Yeah, I think Dakota Johnson kind of became a folk hero because of that one interview on Ellen where she just asked her back about that. That's not the truth, Ellen, is what she. Yeah, but I was not a Fifty Shades of Grey fan. She was okay in that one movie about the weird hotel that like spans the two different state lines. Bad times at Ridgemont High. 
uh, I don't remember what it was called. No, but it was Oh, is that the one where Chris? Uh, <laughs> which Chris was? It? Seven, seven one Chris. Of them was oh making- yeah, one of the Chris's was in it. I'm pretty sure. At some point, there I was like a gun. Was it shootout. Matthew McConaughey? There were. She was wearing like an excellent like '70s style jacket. Hmm. I also have to was say, Jane Fonda I love in that, or am I crazy? It like a bunch of people were in it for five minutes. It was one of those big like ensemble things. Oh. I oh. do love Dakota Johnson's house, though. Um, like. You know those like architectural I mean, digest videos or whatever where yeah. like Hollywood celebrities take you inside their homes and they all look the same and they all have the same appliances and they all look like they'll look terribly dated in 30 years. She's got like this mid-century like modern greenhouse kind of vibe and uh, it actually looks good. I believe it was owned by Elton John previously. Oh. I believe. Oh. Um, if I recall that uh architects digest well i mean you know i mean it's easy to be cool and seem untouchable when you were like so distilled hollywood royalty yes but, uh-huh. yeah. wait You're wait like the child of parents? what melanie griffith and don johnson oh my god wow antonio okay. banderas was her stepfather you know <clears throat> isn't melanie griffith's mom tippy hedron am i remembering that correctly from like yeah. Um, Hitchcock and yeah. the, the birds and such. Birds. Yeah. <laughs> Bring back birds. Bring back Dakota it, Johnson, though, I, yeah. I must say, I am suspicious of anyone who dates Chris Martin of Coldplay. I don't understand that impulse at all to enter Is into a... Paltrow married to him? Yeah, she had two children okay. with him. But now she's married to like a producer of American Horror Story or something. Since they're conscious uncoupling, <clears throat> hers and Chris Martin's. Oh, that's right. And it's Nicole Kidman who's with Keith Urban. Yes. Yes. And they're still together. Oh yeah, they are what? like, like post clips occasionally of the two of them like sitting on a piano bench together, like romantically singing to each other with closed eyes level together. Like they are really in it. Nicole Kidman and Keith Urban. You you know what I found out recently, you know, David Harbour of stranger things. Yeah. Yes. Do you have have him pictured in your head? Lily, Jen, I wanted to say Lily Allen. <laughs> Sorry. Cut, go back. Cut go that, back. Samantha. <laughs> Lily Allen. <laughs> what? He's married to Lily Allen. That's cool. Yeah. It seems like and such it looks a random. As they got married in like a McDonald's. <laughs> but then like when you think about it for a second, it works so well. Oh, yeah. I don't know if either of you have seen the fourth season of Stranger Things, but he was hot <laughs> in season four. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll say that on the rooftops. <laughs> I have not watched it since season one, I think. The, yeah. I, I don't like watching shows with child actors where I know they'll just like age and then like... <laughs> 
the show will be trying to be like, remember last week at our eighth grade graduation? And they're all like 22 now because we're all just trying to psychically ignore their growth spurts. I feel like they did pretty well with that. Like the time jumps were making sense with the ages of the characters up until like over like over half of the cast really has hasn't aged much or like it, it looks as though they've aged the amount that they have but like two or three of them suddenly have like just like their voice is like baritone and it is like <laughs> jarring <laughs> You know what celebrity couple I just found out about today? Uh, Ewan McGregor and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Oh, yeah. That was a scandal. Like, left his wife and children were very upset about that for a long time. But apparently now they're hunky-dory and get along okay. Yeah, like like his daughter I thought was she like was posting lesbian. online about anger there. Right, from Birds of Prey. Like she really gives off sapphic vibes there. But I mean, my I feel God. like everybody is like on some level at least low key attracted to Ewan McGregor. But yeah, that was a yeah. that was a suspicious timing situation and uh ended his long-term marriage to his previous wife. But apparently now everybody is a little cooler about it. Um, so best wishes to them all. Yeah. <laughs> he just wants to ride motorcycles, Jen. Just let Ewan McGregor ride <laughs> motorcycles. Is it, he has like a documentary about that where they follow him around riding his motorcycle around Europe. Yeah. You know, when you really like an actor, you want them to be like super smart too or something. And then you like watch enough of their interviews or enough of getting enough of their public persona that you're like, oh, wait, like, I just like your acting. And in real life, you're just like, I like to ride my bike. Uh, It's fun. You know, and you're like, okay, I guess that's all that's in there. It's the worst with musicians because like on some level, at least with actors, like you, you still have a little bit of suspicion there that like they're an actor, they can put on a good front. You listen to a song that you love and just the sound of it, the lyrics and everything, it just speaks like something that you wanted to say in your own soul on a level that you would never have been able to verbalize. And then the musician who made it turns out to be just like absolutely appalling idiot. So embarrassing. This, this reminds <laughs> me, I rewatched, um, I rewatched Jennifer's body last night. And I feel like that movie does such a good job of like capturing the like Audie's <laughs> indie band era musician where like you worship their music and then IRL, they're just like really bad. Murders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love and even more unforgivably, that vapid of murderers. <laughs> like, damn. I love, love, love the line in that movie where they're abducting uh Megan Fox and she's like, Where are you taking me? And Adam Brody says, You don't have to talk if you don't want to. <laughs> it's so fucking good. <laughs> It's so well delivered. I mean, a horrifying 
premise, obviously, but like, like Adam Brody, like is so fucking good in that movie. I just like, can't get over it. Yeah. That's like his finest work, isn't it? Oh, you need to see kid detective. I will. Oh my God, Samantha. I watched that. Did you love (laughs) it? Um, I, yes, I don't think that it, I knew what I was signing up for when I started it. Uh-huh. Um, I thought it was going to be more of like a nice guys vibe, which it kind of is, but it gets, I liked it. I liked yeah. it. Yeah. Jen, the premise of Kid Detective is that like an Encyclopedia Brown style child crime solver has grown up and never left his hometown and is still (laughs) just like resting on the laurels of like having solved who stole the class pet in like the fourth grade or something. Like if Icetown had been a success for Ben Wyatt and Parks and Rec. Yeah, yeah, and he's still like cashing in his like free ice cream for life at the ice cream <laughs> parlor at like age thirty two, um, and and it's kind of like a dark comedy about him like getting brought in to solve a case that ends up unraveling like a truly sinister mystery that he's like not at all equipped to handle emotionally or like. Uh, detective wise but like it's it's very good it's surprisingly emotional and adam brody does like play the kind of like i don't know disaffected like burnout pretty well in it adam brody underrated i love that he married blair waldorf in real life as well is he still married to her? Amazing. Yeah. Like cross um, Audie's yeah. teen property couple. Yeah. I think that they are still married and have children. Um, his, and the yeah. OC, his, his OC girlfriend, Rachel Bilson married, hated Christensen for a long time. And then they split and then she dated Bill Hader, but then they split and now he's with Anna Kendrick. Yeah. Oh, which still shocks me to my core. Oh my God. Are they making a simple favor too? Is that a thing that I actually read or just hallucinated? (laughs) They are. And I'm ready. Are they going to call it a simple favor too? Probably. I think so. A simple favor. (laughs) Wasn't it based off a book? How are they going to like, how are they going to do that? I don't know. Or was it based off a book? What you know? What? No, while it was. We are, it was. Oh yes, it was based off the book. While we are commending um, white male actors for their incredible representations of absolutely horrifying characters, I've got to say I watched the first season and I started the second of Made for Love on HBO Max, like made like M A D E. Because it's got our girl, uh, Christina Melodi from Palm Springs in it. The one with the enormous emotive eyeballs that look like she is about to be consumed into an abyss of anxiety at all times. 
And so she plays uh, this woman who, this is simplifying enormously. I would recommend just watching the parts with Ray Romano and the sex doll, a little weird. And I think that they took that from the source material, but everything else highly recommended. Anyway, she is trying to divorce uh, her tech billionaire husband of a decade because he has uh, implanted a chip in her brain that allows him to spy on her and see through her eyes and stuff at all times. And uh, very terrifying, but also very funny. Anyway, the guy who plays the like reclusive billionaire Elon Musk, if Elon Musk were actually smarter and more effective character <laughs> in, in that show is hysterical. I laughed so many times when he was delivering some awful line, like the way, I don't know, he would, he would say things was really funny. So would recommend that as well. So, Damn, so Fire Island. Fire Island. <laughs> uh, I would have liked to see a little more of Max as well. Um, he's. I, I also read an interview with Joel Kim Booster that he was worried about casting um, – Conrad Rigamora to play Will because he originally he had him and um, and Bowen Yang cast as Howie, of course, and is based on their real life friendship as well. And he wasn't planning to cast an Asian guy as the Darcy character, too. But they said, quote, in an interview that Conrad Rigamora was the only one who made Joel flustered in the auditions. And I can ah. believe that <laughs> very much having watched the yeah. chemistry play out on screen. I really can't imagine who else would have or could have played that part as effectively as he did. It was really in amazing. In the modern day? Yeah, I just, I don't know. Because he looked like such a polo shirted pop pop, even his body mm -hmm. language. And I don't know how he took that through just the power of intense eye contact to making that like big ass old man looking watch that he wore be sexy. It was incredible. Quite the feat. Anyway, yeah. I was starting to talk about Max there and I completely uh, uh, derailed into that. But again, Max was the one. Who is that? The one fat guy in the whole movie that I ever oh, saw. Yes, yes. Yeah, and the one black guy, and he yeah, was the one who oh, we didn't get enough of him. He was sort of more the reserved, uh, you know, a little bit the worry wart character, and he was the one who like didn't do any drugs on purpose. Yeah. Yes, but then accidentally took like Luke's floor pill of Molly somehow and was having his moment of that really is a thing that will happen to you if you take Molly or mushrooms and you see yourself in a mirror, you'll have that. I'm so beautiful touching your face experience. So yes, I would have liked to have spent some more time with Max for sure. I would have liked to see him get to find at least a little bit of love, you know, um, our, our three uh, supporting characters in Aaron's house on the Island did not get the same romance arcs as, um, Noah and and how he did. And that's okay because there's only so much you can fit into a movie, but I very much would have loved to see them get paired up in better ways than poor Luke did. Yeah. Yeah. Make this an ensemble. That's my ask. I will give Fire Island four out of five water taxis. This was a very fun movie. 
Yeah. I, oh God. <laughs> I will give Fire Island four poppers out of five. Um, I thought it was really well done and I was really rooting for all of the characters. I really want, I, I was so compelled by Darcy and I was so compelled by Noah. Um, I felt like they put their whole ass into the Howie Charlie relationship. It was so tender. Um, so I was almost more invested, I think, in Howie and Charlie, but maybe that's just because I really related to Howie as the, as a character, um, less so than Noah. But it was so funny. The all the side characters were hilarious. Margaret Cho was hilarious. I thought that I really appreciated this as just being an a really bold in your face. This is created by queer people. Get the fuck over it, movie. Um, and so it's great. And like for all of my like minor complaining and things, like this is all just like little beef that I have as someone who is obsessed with Jane Austen that. I don't take, I don't care that much about in the grand scheme of things. Um, so like, you know, as we often do, we really nitpick over movies that we actually really enjoyed. Um, and then yeah. like for things that are like abominably terrible, we're just like, well, it had some good qualities. <laughs> so <laughs> we try yeah, to find the good in the bad. Yeah. And clearly we see. Take it away, the- Jen. tiny imperfections in the good you know i'm gonna go ahead and give this a five dented or nearly expired cans of food at the too expensive grocery store out of five i give it the whole table of cobbled together various drugs that the house was assembling before they went out to the underwear party you know it it has some like little things that we can try to pick at, but I enjoyed it immensely. And I think that the world is much better for its existence in the media landscape. And I look incredibly forward to seeing what pretty much everybody involved with the making of this movie goes on to do in future. So hell yeah. Two thumbs up. Oh yeah. And also give Bo and Yang his own full on rom-com. I want him as like the main lead going hard. I want it. Yeah. I need it. Let Joel Kim Booster be the side character next time and have Bo yeah. and Yang be center stage, even more so than this time. That karaoke scene was pretty incredible, even though they sang like the whole fucking song. And that was kind of a long time to leave it on that <laughs> <Yeah>. scene. <laughs> Jen, what (laughs) islands should people ferry us off to? Well, clearly Beaver Island, since we are all going to visit that together someday now. Um, I'll vote for Mackinac Island. Uh, Take us to Mackinac. Wait, what is the island in the upcoming, sure to be an incredible bestseller novel, Patricia Wants to Cuddle by our own Samantha Allen? It is called Otter's Island. It is a fictionalization of Orcus Island. Well, we should all go to Otter's Island next because Patricia comes out one week and one day from today. And everybody who listens to this better buy it or Patricia will find you.
Yeah, is or that a good we'll sales tactic? The podcast <laughs> with a frequency that shatters eardrums, and <laughs> if not enough You've listeners buy it, yeah, <laughs> you'll turn on. <laughs> You'll turn on this podcast one week. It'll be the movie that you've always wanted us to cover. And your brain will explode from the frequency that we've recorded. Exactly. So just to be on the safe side, go ahead and pre-order Patricia Wants to Cuddle from the bookseller of your choice today to be on the safe side. And then we'll just talk about a movie next week instead. And if you would like to talk to us about movies or about Patricia Wants to Cuddle online, you can find us on Twitter at YSSTOG, or you can send us an email, which we don't check very often. So don't be troubled if you send us a message and we do not reply immediately. But send us a message on Twitter to let you know, to let us know if you sent us an email. Good idea. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) And then we will check the email and read your email. You can email us at yssogpodcast at gmail.com or you can throw a few dollars per month uh, towards our Patreon to help us keep affording to stream all of these movies that we'd love to discuss for you at patreon.com slash yssog. And that gets you access to our Discord server where we talk about these movies and cat actors and occasionally the one and a half season character of part Mark Brandanowitz from Parks and Rec and where we will be talking about Patricia wants to cuddle a lot in the coming week. And also we have some more tiered rewards where like Sadie makes you playlists and uh, you can listen to extra bonus podcast episodes that we do just for our patrons. And you could even select a movie for us to discuss. Ahem, ahem, ahem. Ahem, I'm Sadie. I'm little baby Sadie. Oh, God, where is it? Where did it go? I always lose it. Here it is. I would like to thank our lovely, wonderful Patreons. Logan, Logan Mayonnaise, Andrew, Althea, Xenalon, Sharon, Justin, Evan, Liz, Brittany, Ace, Mara, Raimi the Wood, Heartleaf, Ape with Teeth, Hadas, Ryan, Maddie, Abby, and Caroline. We love you all so very much, and we would love to go to Fire Island with you and just get fucked up. (laughs) Yeah, get fucked up and swim in the pool. Period. (laughs) 